I can't imagine what it would be like to grow up without parents. To not have a mother and father around. To be an orphan. That would leave a huge hole in someone's heart and in their life. And when I see kids who are without a parent, it makes me truly admire those who choose to be foster parents or adoptive parents. What a great gift to become a parent to a parentless child. Now, thankfully, most of us grew up with at least one parent around. But here's something that occurs to me. Even though we may not have grown up as orphans, the reality is that we all are spiritual orphans until we become followers of Jesus. And why is this? It's because apart from God, we have no spiritual parent. We have no one guiding us through this life who's waiting to welcome us into the next life. And the wonderful thing about our God is He wants to fill that hole. So when He saves us from ourselves, when He saves us from our sinful state, He does so much more than just forgive us. He becomes our Father and we become His children. He adopts us into his family. And it's a unique adoption process because it's a process of love. It's described in several places in Scripture. One of my favorites is in the book of 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28. That's where we're going to camp this morning. And we're going to see that we have the privilege of experiencing God's love in several different ways because God chooses He chooses to have a relationship with us as Father, and we are His children. Let's take a look at this passage. 1 John 2, 28. And now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Isn't that a wonderful word? Lavished on us. Overflowing, abundant, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. Last week we looked at a portion of the book of John, which is a biography of Jesus written by His closest friend. And we explored a passage where Jesus emphasizes that God is His Father and our Father. This little book of 1 John is written by the same man, and and here he builds on what Jesus already has taught about the Heavenly Father. And John encourages us to continue to live as men and women of faith in response to this incredibly lavish love of God. John wants us to understand that God's love is so rich and so extravagant that he chooses to call us his children. And that really is an incredible honor. Because the fact is, God could call us anything He wants. 
He could call us his servants, his subjects, his creatures. But he doesn't. God calls you, God calls me his children. What a privilege. It ought to overwhelm us. And now before we dig deeper into what that actually means, we need to better understand who God is as our Father. Because He's not a Father in the way that we typically understand. And this becomes clear when we look at how God actually created us. In the book of Genesis, God says, let us make mankind in our image, male and female. He created them. In other words, it takes both men and women to fully reflect the image of God. Now that may seem strange since God chooses to identify himself exclusively with male terms in the Bible. And yet the fact remains that our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit embodies all of the characteristics and all of the nature that we associate with maleness and femaleness. And that's why fathers and mothers both have vital roles to play in the life of a family. They each reflect different aspects of our Heavenly Father. And so when we think about God the Father, we need to think about Him differently than we think about human, and human fathers. Because our Heavenly Father is not male in the same way that men are male. Now, if this is confusing, and I think actually it should be, it's a reminder of just how far above us our God is. He is so vast, and there's much about Him that we can know, but there is so much about our God that is incomprehensible. And when we realize this, then it ought to overwhelm us as an amazing fact that He wants to have a relationship with us as our Father. He wants us to be His children, and He wants to lavish His love upon us. What a privilege. What an honor. We are a family with Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, as our Father. Now, if it's hard for us to understand, then obviously people who are far from God find it even harder to understand. John writes here that <clears throat> people far from God don't see this or understand it. He said, even when Jesus walked the earth, they didn't recognize him for who he was, and he lived a perfect and sinless life. And if the world didn't recognize Jesus, then as we stumble along in our imperfect lives, it's not surprising that people don't recognize us as children of God. But we also don't help our cause when we live like everyone else. And we need to remember that much of what Jesus taught and much of what Jesus did went against the accepted wisdom of his day. And as followers of Jesus, there are times when we need to be willing to swim upstream against the culture. To be willing to go against the latest trends. To push back when our culture embraces immorality and injustice. 
There are times when we must be willing to take unpopular stands precisely because of who our Father is. And it's one of the many reasons that we need to be connected to each other as God's family because then we don't have to stand alone. We have other family members encouraging us and standing with us because God is our Father. And John also reminds us that one day Jesus is going to appear again and and then we're going to see God and we'll be with Him forever. He's talking about the hope of heaven and he says holding on to that hope is purifying. It's purifying because we're not hoping in ourselves. We're hoping in the Father's love. And when we know that the Father's love is unconditional, when we know that we cannot earn our way into heaven, when we recognize that the Father's forgiveness truly is a gift, then our motivation for obedience to God is the motivation of love. Not fear. Love. And what could be more pure than to be motivated by love? When we recognize that we are children of God, and when we live like children of God, then we will become more and more and more like Jesus. Because we're children of God. And yet the question needs to be asked, why should we enjoy that special status? Why do we get to be God's children? And the answer in Scripture is clear time and time again, simply because of God's love, this undeserved and lavish love that He pours on us overwhelmingly. And that love was demonstrated to us sacrificially through Jesus, which John talks about next. Let's look at verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, I I find John's writing style rather interesting because he tends to alternate back and forth between different aspects of a topic. He kind of circles around and he touches on various points and he sometimes repeats himself. He just wants to make sure that we get it. And then sometimes he alternates back and forth quickly between talking about God the Father and God the Son, and that's what he does here. He reminds us that we get connected to the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. That's why Jesus appeared. He appeared on earth and he hung on a cross to take away our sins. And when he did that, he performed the most sacrificial act of love in all of human history. And as John reminds us of that fact, he wants to challenge us how we live in response to that fact. He says, followers of Christ need to turn away from the ongoing practice of sin. That's the idea expressed here in the original Greek text of verse 6. It's the idea of practicing sin. And to get a hold of this, let's think for a moment about something that we might practice. You might practice a sport or a musical instrument. And when we practice, what do we do? We do something over and over and over again. Now that's vital for mastering a skill. That's deadly 
when it comes to ungodly behavior. And the reality is we are children of God, but we still will mess up. But ungodly behavior should not be an ongoing part of life. And so such things as lying or pride, anger, gluttony, greed, materialism, those things should not be a habitual part of your life or mine. We shouldn't practice such things. And Jesus died on the cross to set us free from the sinful condition that causes us to engage in bad habits or compulsive behaviors. This sacrificial love of Jesus initiates in us a process of transformation. And through His sacrificial love, we experience the lavish love of the Heavenly Father. And then God changes us in a very dramatic way. He changes us so much that we literally, not metaphorically, not figuratively, we literally become the children of God. And that's what John addresses next, verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now listen to this next verse, it's key. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. John is saying something about God's fatherhood that is dramatic and encouraging and even astonishing. Now, I mentioned that John kind of circles around on topics. Back in verse 1, he told us that we are not just called God's children, we are God's children. And now after touching on a bunch of other topics, now he finally gets around to telling us why. We are God's children because we have God's seed within us. And here's what I find really fascinating. The word in the original Greek text is sperma. Sperma. Now, that's how a biological father passes on his DNA to his children. So how might a holy God do that? I believe he does it through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is part of God. The Spirit has God's exact character and nature. And so in a very real sense, the Holy Spirit carries God's spiritual DNA. And when you and I repent of our sins and are baptized as an act of faith, we know from what Scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And at that moment, we begin a new life as children of God because the spiritual nature of our Heavenly Father is embedded within us. We're transformed and reborn. Now, to get an idea of what this means, let's think about it in human terms for just a moment. If you were to see a picture of my father, you would immediately recognize him as my dad. And why? Because we look a lot alike. I look like him because I have his DNA. And beyond the physical similarities, 
My dad was a powerful influence in my life, and for years he molded me and shaped me and, and affected my values and the way that I looked at life. His imprint is all over me. I remember back in college when Julie and I began to date, and I brought her home for the weekend for the first time to meet my folks. And when she met my dad, she realized she was getting a sneak preview of what I was going to be like in the future. She said later, she said, I knew what you'd look like when you were older. I knew who you were going to become because you're so much like your dad. And in the same way, God's spiritual essence is within each of us. And as we spend more time with God, He's going to mold us and shape us and we increasingly will become like Him. And the Holy Spirit will do His work of transforming you and me day by day. And increasingly we will look like and increasingly we will live like children of the Heavenly Father. Because God's spiritual DNA is in us. Now, there's a warning that comes in here. We're children of the Heavenly Father, but there's a devil, an enemy, and he wants to rip God's family apart. In our modern age, there are many people who think that Satan is just some ancient superstition, but he's not. He's a fallen angel, he's an enemy of God, and he's the enemy of our souls. His only power is the power of deception. And unfortunately, he deceives many people into thinking that he doesn't even exist at all. John wants us to know that Satan does exist, but we're children of God, and therefore we can overcome the influence of the devil. He even says here, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, so we do not need to give in. I believe that whenever we face temptation. One great way to fight is to remember exactly who our Father is. Our Father is the God whose Spirit lives within us. And we have the ability, we have the power to turn away from temptation because we carry the spiritual DNA of God our Father within us. We are children of God. We are privileged to receive this lavish love, this sacrificial love, this transforming love. Yet God does not give us all of this to selfishly hoard it and keep it to ourselves. He wants us to reflect His love by how we live. Look at verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. John closes this portion of his letter by describing two key ways that you and I can reflect our status as children of God. We choose to do what is right, and we choose to treat people right. Now, there are many places in the Bible that urge us to love people who are far from God. Here, we're urged to love the other members of God's family. And that's because we are brothers and sisters. And therefore, 
God wants us to learn to love one another, and not just in theory, not just in principle, not just as something to give lip service to. He wants us to actually learn how to live together in relationships where His love guides our behavior. And let's face it, that's not always easy to do. Because some people just aren't very easy to love. And yet, that person in the church who drives you nuts also is a child of God. They're a member of God's family. And we need to learn how to love them. We all have different kinds of people that push our buttons. And for you, it might be that person that comes up to you in the lobby and talks incessantly and just won't shut up. Maybe it's a person who's socially awkward and always interrupts conversations. Maybe it's that person in your life group with the endless list of prayer requests. Maybe it's that person whose political views make you grit your teeth. It doesn't matter. They're a brother, they're a sister. You're a member of God's family. And God, our Father, speaking to us here through John, says, love them. Love them. So we need to learn to love each other even when we're annoying each other. It doesn't mean that we have to be best friends and hang out all the time. It does mean we have to treat each other with respect. And it means, <clears throat> it means we need to learn to extend grace to other members of God's family who may tend to rub us the wrong way. Because we're all children of the Heavenly Father. John has written all of this to remind believers that our God has amazing love, and it's a love that is all-encompassing. His love for us is lavish, it's sacrificial, it's transforming. He places His spiritual DNA within us so we can live as His children. He puts us within this family so that we can help each other grow in faith. He wants us to encourage each other through those times when life is hard. He wants us to learn how to actually live out His love. And I believe that one of the best places to put this into action happens outside this time of worship on Sunday morning. I believe it happens best in groups. It happens in our adult Bible fellowships. It happens in our life groups. I believe everyone in this church family should be in a group because when we meet together and get to know each other better in those settings, then we can help each other learn how to live as God's children. I was talking with one of our church members earlier this week, and she happened to mention how sustaining her life group has been over the years. And the members of that group have loved and supported each other during times of critical illness. There was a season when they all were raising kids and their teenagers were taking turns going through teenage rebellion. They supported each other when they dealt with painful losses in life. You see, that's what a healthy family does. Family members come alongside each other, pray with each other, stand with each other, find practical ways to support each other through the ups and downs of life. And God does not want you and He does not want me to be spiritual orphans. That's why He's our Father. 
And that's why he's given us a family. If you're not connected, I want to encourage you after this service to go out to the Welcome Center, pick up the little brochure with our menu of groups, and find a place to get connected. Get involved with your brothers and sisters. Because together, we can know our Heavenly Father so much better. We will know better how to live as His children. And then we can experience the best of life that He wants for each of us.